This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. You may have been on a sweaty go train yesterday. You may have been on a steamy via rail train. I mean, I'm sure there was air conditioning. I heard a lot of people say, well, they gave us water. They gave us Wi-Fi. They gave us this and that. And that's great. But not a ton of answers right now. It's fair that sometimes in scenarios, there's going to be more questions then answers at a certain point in time. But you must get communicating with your customers and try and provide answers. We're all a bit trepidatious as to whether things are going to return to normal today. I don't blame you. My mother-in-law is taking a train up to Toronto on Friday from London. Like, again, the, like there's nerves about things like that. I don't want to get stranded. I don't want to be stuck sitting there outside of Kitchener. For an hour and a half. What happened yesterday, to sum up, was a massive disruption. Like a massive one. I'm trying to remember the last time one happened that wasn't related to weather. And I think that's an important distinction here. Is weather's going to happen. Snowstorm. Trees. Remember where there were trees at Christmas time that slowed up via rail. People were in on via rail. Really disappointed and upset that they didn't that their their plans were compromised. And if you remember last Christmas, it's really tough to, right? Think about where you were last Christmas. Christmas Eve was on a Saturday. Uh the 23rd was on a Friday and people just basically the 23rd was a nightmare. I remember my kid was working at Buffalo Wild Wings at the time and they closed. Like they were like we're not going to be open on a Friday night and you thought, "Oh, that's the last Friday before Christmas. Nobody can travel. Trains are de- delayed." The highway's an icy mess, and it's the last. It's meant to be the last retail day before you sort of do anything with your family, and that's another big factor right there. Is you go out with friends on that Friday when school ends and work ends, maybe, and you got a long time to go celebrate, and you're going to travel with your family. And so there were problems with last Christmas. Weather is going to happen is the point, but we have almost no answers from yesterday. It's being described as a CN network outage. And you think, okay, fair enough. You'll you'll let me know when you know more. And right now um, <laughs> might be the time as people are getting on even morning trains to let them know more. I'm not sure the time to let people know would be 3 o'clock this afternoon or 1 o'clock on Friday as to what you think happened here. It's a weird one, isn't it, too? Because I was thinking about this driving in last week. We had a lot of people upset because the the Eglinton Crosstown LRT, right? It's long overdue. It's been years. We're waiting to get to get this established and be able to move one way on it, move another way on it. It just sits there waiting, waiting to be utilized. Billions of dollars have been spent on it, right? And we're more mad about something that we've never been on than we are yesterday about something we're supposed to trust and rely on makes no sense in a lot of different ways. And if you noticed it last week, there were pro-India hackers claiming responsibility for a couple different cyber attacks in Canada. And here's the problem, by the way. The second I say that sentence, there might be a couple of you that say, oh boy, conspiracy theories, unproven stuff. Well, I'm not telling you anything that's unusual. Pro-India hackers said, we messed up the Canadian Forces website. We disabled it. The website for the Canadian Armed Forces was disabled last Wednesday. Now, you probably didn't know that, or even if you knew it, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But the head of media relations said at the Department of National Defense said, 
We got disrupted around noon. We figured it out by the afternoon. Most of our mobile phones couldn't access the site. We were, we were compromised. It was frustrating. But at least somebody got in front of a camera and a microphone, as I often say, and said something about it. So far, an incredibly small amount. And that's, that's what's going to make people suspicious when you don't hear things about why this went this way. I really want to hear from you, the consumer. What was yesterday like for you if you travel on the go, if you travel on via, even if you're on the TTC yesterday and maybe you were hesitant to step on or you realize, what's the point? Why would I take the TTC to Union when I need the go train, when I know the go trains aren't working? There's a ripple effect. Everybody suffers. Here's a clip of a gentleman that was trying to get home to Stouffville. By the way, listen to him describe uh, the surge pricing for the uh, Ubers and the Lyfts and how out of control these prices were. So I'm trying to get to Stouffville right now. Uh, it's been unfortunate. I've been looking at Ubers and they're in the 200 to $300 range, uh, up to even $500 I've seen uh, just to get back into town. So thankfully I have a friend that's going to be picking me up from Scarborough. So I'll be taking the TTC as an alternative, but I can't imagine how it is for all networks to be down right now. It's 500 bucks, 500 bucks for a scenario where you're going from downtown Toronto to Stouffville. By the way, the Financial Post had a story yesterday. Just throwing it out there as we should. We should ask questions and we should demand answers from Metrolinx, from Via Rail, from CN today. Here's the headline at financialpost.com. Canadian organizations are unprepared for AI-driven cyber threats. That's a new CIRA cybersecurity survey. We're not prepared to handle and recover from new cyber threats from AI. So we're seeing this more and more. I just told you about the, you know, basically the Canadian Armed Forces with a couple keystrokes, stoom, gone, can't access the website, our services are down. And pro-India hackers said, yep, look at us, we did it, we did it. So I, you can't ever rule anything out in a case like this, that's for sure. Texting uh, is 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. Got a text from a listener, uh, got lucky to get the 3.34 p.m., I assume, on the Kitchener line. It left 20 minutes late, stopped a few times with no air conditioning, got a little sweaty, but at least I got out. So there's somebody who couldn't get to their destination, got on a train, and decided I can get somewhere and then eventually get a, get a ride from somebody else. Yesterday as well, I'll tell you, I attended an event at the Toronto Board of Trade, and it was Premier Doug Ford, Minister of Infrastructure, King of Surma, and they were explaining what they're going to do to Ontario Place. Because there was talk about a big protest, big protest around 10 o'clock in the morning. And there were, you know, uh, walking down there, there were maybe 50 people out front with signs. They weren't making too much noise. It wasn't too disruptive. I don't think anything got physical at any point between anybody entering the building and anybody that was protesting outside it. Here's Doug Ford, the premier of the province, uh, who did a Q&A once he got inside there explaining what his hopes are for Ontario Place and acknowledging that in the democratic process, not everybody's going to agree with what Ontario Place is about to become. Ontario Place is called Ontario Place for a reason. And I say this respectfully serving the people of Toronto. Um, it's not Toronto Place. It's everyone in Ontario that is going to come here. Everyone in the world is going to show up uh, when they visit. You know, the CN Tower has about a million, million two, million and a half visitors. We're going to see six million people come through Ontario Place. And that's pretty staggering. I thought about it yesterday. Um, 
the world, and I looked it up when I got home, the world's 15 best waterfront cities. We've got something that a lot of cities just don't have. We've got something a lot of cities would kill for. A great waterfront. You've got a natural body of water. It doesn't have to be the ocean. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, the Hudson River in New York. It doesn't have to be any of that. Chicago's got Lake Michigan. We've got Lake Ontario. Venice is, is Venice. Imagine Venice saying, let's just not, let's not put any infrastructure around uh, the water that courses through our city. They'd never say that. There would be boutiques and places to eat and places to drink and places to buy things. And yes, you could still exercise and walk and bike and take your puppy here and meet your family here and there. And we've just had this tremendous Ontario Place opportunity and we haven't done enough with it. I think those are really fair comments and criticisms about Toronto. However you view what Ontario Place should be. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I've never had, I've had one moment, Sheba, and I wonder if you have, where I'm taking the GO train back on a Friday afternoon and it just stops and they say, y'all are getting out here. And, it, and it's like basically near mm. one stop. So it's basically get out, get get onto the edge of the track and you're on your own at this point in time. Like, like that's Well, you're not on your own. You, They're not sending you off into the woods by yourself naked. They're just telling you, I think, to wait for the next go train, I'm assuming, when you had to get out. But you don't know when that will be. Yes, so if you're true. headed, that's only happened one time. It's happened to me in Europe where, where they've just let you off in a field. And like, sorry, train doesn't work anymore. In a and you're field? Like, uh, yeah, basically. Basically. Oh, we walked across God. a field in the Netherlands once. <laughs> but I think about yesterday and I think information so vital in this day and age and if yes. somebody isn't stepping up this morning and saying here's what we think happened and i understand and how has that not happened yet how how is how do we not have any answers anything to go on from from the catastrophe that was yesterday's commute yeah that's like, that's my concern like what that and then then you see all of these because there's so much silence you see all these conspiracy theories coming up people are assuming trying to guess at what happened come out and give us some information yeah yeah Un- unless unless you're like you're caught giving faulty information and you know it was some sort of cyber attack i mentioned the canadian forces website going down i mentioned air canada had uh, got hacked about 3 or 4 days ago as well like these things come kind of fast and furious now and there's been so many people that document who are experts at this, who know more than you and I and all our listeners combined know about it in a way. And they say, we're not prepared for these kind of things. We're not prepared for AI attacks. And I think about even, Sheba, how we tap now on on uh, on, yes. on GoTrain. The Presto card, yes. But, but we tap our credit cards now as well. Yeah. Like it's one thing do. if you're like, oh, my my uh, you know, my card is is uh is my tap card for the the go train is compromised. Well, there was twenty two bucks on it. What the heck? I mean, but when you That's think about it, your Visa your or MasterCard, card. it's a different feeling to think, oh, they've got my information now. Wonderful. You're going to use it less and you're going to trust that company more. Any business where you think, hey, they gave away my credit card information, either by accident or by design, you're not going to that business as frequently. It's plain and simple. No. Oh, you're not using your credit cards. I think there are a lot of people that are very, a little anxious and nervous this morning in their morning compute commute and you know metrolinks is saying that it there are there might be some modifications as they move their trains and their crews back into place but i'm sure people are going to be leaving much earlier for work this morning and thinking twice about tapping that credit card i would be why not and did you see the uber prices last night yeah the surge pricing so to get from tr- downtown toronto to scarborough yesterday while all this chaos was happening it was up to 280 dollars 
Let's play the uh, let's play the Stoville guy again because he's trying to get back to Stoville, Sheba, and he documents that it it could have been as much as five hundred dollars. Here's what he said yeah. at Union Station. So I'm trying to get to Stoville right now. Uh, it's been unfortunate. I've been looking at Ubers and they're in the two hundred to three hundred dollar range, uh, up to even five hundred dollars. I've seen. Uh, just to get back into town. So thankfully, I have a friend that's going to be picking me up from Scarborough. So I'll be taking the TTC as an alternative. But I can't imagine how it is for all networks to be down right now. Like, I, I, do, I, I know people need to go places. I mentioned my mother-in-law's got to get on a Via Rail train on uh, on Friday to come up to Union Station from London. And she, by the way, uh, with my late father-in-law a few years ago, was stranded, but it was basically ice and cold weather and whatnot, and they just sat near Kitchener, and they just sat on that damn train for maybe an hour and a half, 100 minutes. So I have, again, wow. once you have those sort of rattling issues, this was the problem last summer with with going to Pearson Airport. People were having bad experiences at Pearson Airport. Flight delay, luggage, long waits, whatever it was, you're just a lot less like, like everything ends up being a customer experience. That. When yeah, you, you are the a bit. Airport, you're prepared for that. You're prepared for anything can happen. My flight could get canceled, delayed, whatever it is. When you're trying to get home from a regular day at work, it's too much. And I mentioned it earlier. Can you imagine a home Blue Jays game at 430? Not not in Minnesota, but in Toronto yesterday at Rogers Center, right? Like a walk and a stone's throw from Union Station. Had this happened yesterday with game one of the playoffs and 48,000 people trying to get in, get into Union Station and get to the ball game. Disaster. Yes. Disaster. All right. On Think Tank yesterday, we had uh, Steve Pakin, who's going to be in for Kelly Cotrera tomorrow, uh, 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. I'm really looking forward to listening to that, or as much of it as I can. And Mitzi Hunter, uh, the former liberal MPP. And we started our conversation talking about violence in schools, new studies, problematic circumstances. The data is out of control. And the anecdotal stories that you've heard and I've heard in our communities out of control as well. I asked Mitzi if there's an answer for this. This is an ongoing problem that we see in the in the classrooms and and actually just look at the level of violence that we've seen in schools just you know at the start of the school year what is really important in in this issue is that we keep talking about it we let we as a society let it be known it's unacceptable and teachers have to feel that they can report violence when it happens and that they're going to get the support first from the school administration, but also from those who represent them as well. And it's not something that we can continue to hide because it is a big issue and it's growing. Mm. Steve, uh, there's always, I mean, we use the phrase, it, it comes right out of the playbook, teachable moments. And and I think we try and we try and get adults to be less violent. We try and teach men, women, whomever, not to hit each other, not to react with anger. We should certainly do that for 14 and 15 year olds. But I'd make the case again, if principals and teachers are saying we're powerless here, when someone goes nuts, we just have to leave the classroom. We can't stop the chaos. That's a problematic solution. And people will leave that industry if they don't feel protected. Greg, I think this is one of the most underreported stories uh, in the province over the last decade. And I can tell you, uh, I have a sister-in-law who is a teacher in the Hamilton District School Board. And this is a subject that she and I talk about all the time because she says to me, you cannot believe what goes on in classrooms today. And of course, our impression of classrooms was formed from our own formative Mm -hmm. educations many, many decades ago. And I don't know about you, but my classroom was not a violent place. Things are different now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Incredibly so. Uh, My sister-in-law is a fairly slight person. If somebody, you know, if if an older student took a run at her, uh, lost his temper, decided that he wanted to take it out on her, she would be virtually powerless to defend herself. 
And, and this will be the case in classrooms all over the province of Ontario. Uh, something really needs to be, I know, I know uh, some of the teacher unions in the past have written reports trying to bring to the attention of the Minister of Education uh, the significance of this problem. Mm. This is something that really needs to be listened to because too many of our classrooms today, I'm not exaggerating here, they are battlegrounds and teachers really feel scared. He isn't exaggerating. A May survey of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, a survey showed nearly 80% of Ontario elementary teachers experience school violence. And I won't parse words and I won't say, well, let's define what violence is. If they say it's happening, then it's happening. It's an anonymous survey. 80% of Ontario elementary teachers say that. And we've just got all of this going in the wrong direction. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. David Shipley's a cybersecurity expert and joins us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. What do you make of yesterday? And um, and is by the way, is any theory too far out there, given some of what I just said regarding, uh, in, you know, pro-India uh, hackers are claiming responsibility for a few different attacks? Well, I think your, your, uh, your caller who messaged about the IT experience is spot on. Nobody, nobody in their sane mind does an upgrade middle of the day um, of a critical infrastructure piece like that. So there's no way this was planned, routine, uh, uh, maintenance. So, so we're left with two alternatives. The first is a catastrophic failure of a piece of equipment that was what we would call in the business a single point of failure, which would be extremely surprising, um, but but possible and extremely disappointing. And it would be great if we had the kind of transparency that said, yep, we were cheap and we relied on the internet to route all this traffic and uh, you know, the, the router broke, the server broke, um, we weren't doing proper maintenance. And, you know, we're going to learn that lesson. Uh, but we have no transparency into that. So, so that's, that's possible. What's also equally possible, because in their public communications, they've been very clear that CN, Go, Via, all coordinate their traffic by sending files over the public internet to a CN server. So it would be very easy if you figured out what that server address was or block of addresses to do a denial of service attack, which is what uh, communication security establishment has been warning about for the last couple of weeks. And these are trivial to do. These are the digital equivalent of a trucker blockade. Um, and they can cause significant chaos. Normally, it's just annoying, like yeah. down a military website. But when you strand tens of thousands of Torontonians, you stop crossing the line of being annoying. And now you've created a public safety issue. Yeah, I watched um, one of the one of the companies last week described it as a nuisance attack. And I'm like, it's a lot more than that when, you know, when you can't get back and pick your five-year-old up from daycare on time, or you missed an important business meeting, or like I said, heaven forbid, the Jays had been at home instead of on the road. I can't imagine what people would claim they were out in terms of their experience by, by missing a train or not being able to get one for three hours. Well, I mean, you're putting people back into cars, more yeah. cars on the road is going to lead to more accidents. So, you know, this is the case where physical safety actually gets impaired when we rely on these mass transportation systems and they're not there anymore because emotions are going to be high. People are going to be angry about their high Uber bills, et cetera. So what, what's frustrating, however, is the lack of transparency because Canadians and Torontonians deserve to know, was this, we didn't invest enough in resiliency or did someone take a punch and, and it hurt? 
Um, and, and we deserve to know that. But absent mm. the laws that are sitting in Parliament, languishing in Parliament um, for years, there are no regulations on Canada's transportation sector that require them to be cyber secure or be transparent about it. David Shipley is our guest on Toronto Today. What about the lack of a backup plan? I mean, there's nothing, I suppose there's nothing that could legislate CN or VIA or GO to say, this is down, now we can use this. I mean, it's as simple as people plug in a generator when their power goes out? Is there anything that they can do in that context? There's lots of things they could do. And in fact, you know, part of cyber uh, security is building resiliency plans and backups. So if it was a DDoS attack, having the ability to actually shunt that malicious traffic away. But I, I have deeper architectural questions about why they have um, this kind of coordination happening over the public internet, like why they don't have this on a private network um, that they control that couldn't possibly be DDoS that would have multiple internet service providers um, providing connectivity um, to the various key players. Like this is like when Interact went down when we had the Rogers outage. That yeah. was extremely surprising that they had the, well, we have one internet service provider. Well, guys, like, wouldn't it make sense to have two in case one goes yeah. down? I got 40 seconds, David. Is, is any of their tech or IT located in India? Would you know that? Would you theorize about it? No, I would, I would say probably not. I think the biggest risk right now for Canadians with respect to India is so much of our supply chain for software code over the long term relies on Indian software developers who don't like us. Um, so God only knows what could be getting <laughs> hidden, in, hidden in code that we all depend on. And we don't know when they'll like us again. Um, let's, be <laughs> let's be blunt about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's Absolutely. a problem. David, thanks so much for your insight here. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Former MP Selena Cesar Chavan joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Good morning, Greg. You know Greg Fergus well. Um, what kind I of, know him well. Yeah, what, you, you must have been proud. What kind of character of, uh, of man is, is this that, uh, that takes this important chair? Uh, well, I texted him the day before yesterday and just said, you know, I'm rooting for you. Uh, sent him a message yesterday uh, with a big congratulations. You know, this this is beyond just a great moment, a historic moment. This individual, and you heard him when he uh, went into the seat yesterday, congratulate the dean of the parliament. And he was actually a page when, in 1980. 80 something when uh, when he first entered parliament. So this is an individual, Greg Fergus, or the Honorable Greg Fergus, who uh, who actually knows the insides and the outsides of the job that he is currently in. It is more than a historic moment. He is uh, actually right and primed for that position, completely bilingual. He is, I mean, I think a really good fit for that, uh, for the Speaker of the House. He says he wants more respect in Parliament, Selena. But if I go back, I mean, you and I could filter through old videos and we'll be like, there's, you know, Brian Mulroney yelling at, uh, at John Turner about something. There's Pierre Trudeau would get into battles that would be quite personal on the House floor. Are we any worse off than we were 20, 30 years ago when we really think about it? Politics is going to be um, uncivil at times, is it not? I think so. And when we have to remember, I think everybody, when they get into that chair, is going to say, let's be more respectful, let's be more civil. Um, but the house or the, the floor is a, is a prime spot to get those reels for, for social media. And I think that that is going to continue to happen. I'm not sure 
Greg is going to be able to uh, dampen that kind of energy when it comes to uh, question period. It is going to be a joust. And as we get through closer to election season, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot more of that happening. I think he could try to temper it. He could use the rules a little bit more effectively. Um, but I don't think that that is going to disappear with the election of, of uh, the Honorable Greg Fergus as Speaker. Selena Cesar Chavan is with us on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. Um, he got tagged for an ethics violation. Um, he violated the Conflict of Interest Act this past February. Look, nobody would want to be judged by their worst ever public or political moment. Of course not. Um, he's moved past it. Is the, do you, Were you worried that would hang over his head going into an election about this, that the opposition would make some hay about this? They, they I think the opposition did. Um, they did challenge it. They brought it out there. And I think it's, it's, it's something that people, that Canadians should know if they didn't know already that there were some ethics violations with them. Um, at the end of the day, you know, there is um, recourse for improper behavior that happens within the House of Commons. Of course, we've seen the Prime Minister have uh, quite a few of those. Um, you know, I... I, I He's there at this mm-hmm. moment, and there's nothing that can do to change it. His colleagues voted him in. Um, I think we just have to, to um, move forward, I guess, at this point and, and take this moment for what it is. I know two weeks ago, last thing, and I got under a minute for it, but we, we talked about the tenseness between Canada and India. It just feels like we've gone from one thing to the other. We went from the Zelensky honoring. We went from the discovery of, uh, of somebody that fought with, with Nazi Germany on their side. We really haven't got back to a major, major issue that I'm sure every every MP is hearing about saying, I have Indian relatives. I want to travel to India. Our school has yeah. international students. We really haven't gotten to the crux of, of solving this or moving forward with it yet, have we? We have, we have not. And this, this needs to stay primarily on the agenda. And like I said, when we talked on last Friday, um, I think mm-hmm. the Prime Minister still needs to, to make sure that this comes to a resolution for the benefit, not just of the families in BC, but to all Canadians. Here at Loud and Clear, Selena Cesar Chavan, thank you so much for getting up early for our show. You know we appreciate it. <laughs> Have a good one, Greg. You bet. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So I want to bring on a journalist with the Quint in Delhi, India. He is uh, joining us uh, and kind enough to do so all the way across from there, Aditya Manon. It's great to have you on, sir. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. When you hear about this diplomat story, what's your first reaction? Are you not surprised or are you surprised? I'm not surprised uh, because uh, I think from the Indian government side, uh, they have clearly chosen to escalate uh, this matter and uh, they do seem to be trying to provoke some kind of a confrontation because it sort of appeals to their domestic audience. We have elections in India in six months time. Uh, So I think this kind of uh, nationalist fervor works to their advantage domestically. So not surprising at all. It's so interesting you say that because we don't think of too many countries uh, being Canadian and, you know, uh, nothing is universal, but we don't think of too many uh, cities or countries feeling anti-Canadian. I think it happens with the UK. I think it certainly happens with our friends in the United States below us, Aditya, but it's odd for a Canadian or or Canadians to hear that um, there's anti-Canadian sentiment in a big country like India. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, amusing indeed. I think uh, we must understand this is a Hindu nationalist government and its core constituency lies 
uh, with uh, Hindu voters and so to sort of portray Canada as a country that is uh, uh, giving shelter to Sikh separatists. Uh, so I think it's more to do with uh, the Sikh separatist angle rather than Canada itself. It could have been any other country. Uh, but I think it's to sort of incite some kind of fear uh, in the government's core constituency uh, that there is this foreign country which is giving uh, shelter to uh, Sikh uh, separatists. Yes, that's. I think that is the kind of messaging they are going mm. with domestically. How big is this Canada-India story in India's news cycle? If there was a radio station like ours or a show like ours in India. How much would they be talking about the story? Uh, it's it is being talked about uh, considerably. Uh, it is probably one of the most talked about international uh, stories here. Uh, obviously, there's a lot else that's happening uh, given that this is uh, an election year for us. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, yeah, uh, I think one problem is that the Ministry of External Affairs is sort of not talking anything on record, and a lot of it is coming through off-record sources to select news agencies. So uh, that's why a, a great deal of uh, things are just going around without any official word from the government. What would help the relationship right now between Canada and India? I don't think Canada is going to, or this prime minister is going to withdraw the accusation. The polls tell us we might have another prime minister in two years or a year and a half when we have another election. I don't know about Modi's future, but he has to he has to potentially start and repair a relationship that for all my lifetime and probably yours has actually been pretty great. Absolutely. Uh, I think what would really help is if... Uh, there is some kind of ev- evidence put in the public domain uh, by the government of Canada mm-hmm. uh, because in absence of that evidence, it is giving the Indian regime the, a chance to sort of say pretty much anything they want to or rather much more so through their, uh, uh, you know, through their pro-government media houses in India. Uh, so that that kind of nationalist jingoism is, is sort of driving the narrative here. Uh, so obviously, some if some evidence does come out, that might be able to bring some kind of sense to the entire thing that's so interesting hey thanks for uh, your patience thanks for uh giving us some of your time this morning it's great insight uh from what's happening in india on the ground i appreciate you coming on thank you this is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk Six forty, toronto all right let's bring on former uh police officer for 20 years in the system he is ron chinzer it's great to have you back on toronto today ron and thanks for getting up early for our audience Hey, no problem, and thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. How big a problem uh, are you hearing this is, and how big a problem was this for you as a cop in your last couple of years on the force? You, you guys cannot respond to every single shoplifting call. No, you know, we, we can't, and it was a growing problem, and it tends to grow whenever the economy changes. I mean, generally, the worse the economy gets, the higher crimes go. These quote-unquote minor crimes happen in such mass volumes that they're devastating not only to you know, the police officers have to respond to this, and it, it bogs down the 911 system, but also these store owners. There's this misconception that this is all insured property. A lot of times it doesn't even meet the threshold for these store owners to even report it because they're going to have to pay up front cash for the recovery. So it's definitely a growing problem. It's a big problem. And it's not as simple as people stealing stuff, taking it home for personal use. It is the organized crime element of reselling at higher values. 
I, I came back across this story, Ron, from 2018 in November, and I'll give you the, the quick read on it, uh, the fast food read on it. First time shoplifters won't be charged by Toronto Police in Pilot Project. It allows privately employed theft prevention officers basically to give you a pretty stern warning. So so almost an undercover security person in the store grabbing somebody and goes, I know what you just did or I know what you're trying to do. But without those consequences, then we lump in the pandemic. A lot of that has multiplied and, and baked the cake, basically, to where we are right now, hasn't it? Uh, no, you're 100% correct. And there is a fine line. I mean, look, if you get a kid who steals a chocolate bar, obviously police officers, I can tell you 99% of the time, it's a, it's a strong finger wagon and saying, look, kid, don't do it again. It doesn't happen. The problem is when we have this happen repeatedly. You know, again, it comes down to an economy of a decision. Is there a consequence to what I do? And is that greater than the benefit? When that doesn't exist, we have this happen. And, you know, it bogs down our system again, where sometimes it'll take a police officer five or six hours to respond to somebody who stole something at a bigger name store. It's a big issue that generally grew. And again, all big things start small. And sometimes people get lost in the individual story of the person, but they don't look at the whole picture as a whole. Ron Chinzer is our guest on Toronto Today. What are cops allowed to do, not allowed to do? I mean, if it's just a mob scene and windows are getting broken at a shopper's drug mart or a department store, I bet you there's a response. But to your point, a much smaller situation, someone just walked out. We had a text this morning from a dad, Ron, whose son works at McDonald's, and he says the same three adults come into McDonald's, use the self-serve pop. They fill up like a giant, a giant like Yeti thermos and they walk right out. Like, I don't know what we do about a situation like that. Oh, listen, cops, this is the, the funny part, man. Everybody looks at the police officers and say, man, what are you doing about this? Look, I will tell you, in my 20-year career, I have laid the charge called theft under, which is exactly the shoplifting. I have been to court hundreds of times. I have never, ever been to court for theft under, ever in my entire career, nor do I know any other police officer who has. The problem becomes, and we have them on the onset, the intake, we get the person who does exactly what you said, comes in repeatedly, disrespectful, does an act of crime, does a theft, leaves, intimidates people. We charge them and they go to court. And court says, you know what, here's another thing, everybody can get out of here. It doesn't even make it to that stage. It gets withdrawn. And the reason is the court system is so bogged down, uh, which leads to the lack of innovation in the court system, the lack of requirements, uh, and really the, the government's inability to handle what the inflow is. So what they do is they just kick stuff back out to the public. It's tough to know what the right punishment should be, right? You just documented a 15-year-old. Uh, I, I used to work in music retail, and we'd catch kids taking CDs. And what are you supposed to do? Like, like you know, you, you can't I, – I, I wouldn't want them to lose their part-time job. I wouldn't want them to be expelled from school. But, Ron, if you and I are caught taking a steak out of a metro today, we're in huge trouble. I, my, I'm, I'm risking my career. You're risking yours. There are consequences for adults. Oh, why not? You'd think so, and you'd hope so. But again, you know, by the time they come to court, it gets treated individually, as court should be. So they don't look mm-hmm. at everything in totality in the court system. They look at you, Greg, and say, well, what was Greg's personal circumstance in this situation? And is that reasonable? Or is there an extent of you know, gratitude that the court's going to extend? The problem is, even with us police officers, we can't bring up somebody's history until it comes to sentencing. So this all gets treated individually. I can't present to a court that you stole 50 times from this place before until you get convicted of that. It ends up being that we only have to hear about this individual time you came into McDonald's, you took a cup, you were jerked everybody, you intimidated everybody, and you were disrespectful when you left. So that's where things are accurate in some lens of the law, but on the other end of the law, you just shake your head and you say these poor people that operate these businesses that just get demolished from this theft, and then they can't afford to open up again. 
they unemployed people and then they close up shop. You must know people that won't let their kids work in so many of my friends worked as the lone person at a convenience store or pumped gas. And, and I, there's a lot of parents that just won't, they'll let them work in a grocery store because they're surrounded by a lot of people They let them work in a big restaurant, but, but not just be that lone person or two, because they don't know what they're at risk for Ron. That's changed in 25 years. Oh, it is. You're so accurate with that. I'll tell you, you know, even when I was working as a street cop on night shift, you'd go by a mm. you know, convenience store and you see this single kid yep. working behind the till. They've been held up at gunpoint. They've been robbed. They've been assaulted. That place has been thrashed. And I look at this kid and I say, man, this kid's got some guts because there's no way I would do that, nor would I ever allow mm. my children to do that. That's a dangerous job. Hey, Ron, I only got 40 seconds. I know you've uh, you've got an announcement. You're uh, you're taking your life into the political realm. Give us uh, give us what your plan is. And I know we'll talk more about it as the days and weeks to come. Yeah. You know, listen, I had an opportunity under Pierre Polyev to run as the first person under him in, in October of 2022 in Mississauga Lakeshore, where at the time I was a police officer, a police sergeant in the area. And it was a great opportunity to get involved to help change the problems that we have now. And now I'm going to be pursuing the candidate nomination in Oakville, North Burlington, where I've lived for the last 20 years, where my kids are, where my family and my friends are, to be able to continue to make this place safe, but also get to some place in legislation where I can actually influence change to prevent the things like this happening for the victims of the crimes, to make the system easier for all first responders, and to also create a pathway for people who've committed crimes, but at the yeah. end, never failing that those responsible for these crimes should be held to the full extent of the law. Well, uh, a long runway until the uh, actual election even gets called. So we'll talk more about it as we move along, Ron. Thanks for your insight today. People like hearing from you on our station. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys. Take care.